This is the new way we work from Fast Company Magazine, where we take listeners on a journey through the changing landscape of our work lives and explain exactly what we need to build the future we want. I'm Fast Company Deputy Editor, Kate Davis. Earlier this spring, we recorded a LinkedIn audio event with my colleagues Lydia Dishman and AJ Hess talking about what millennials, Gen X, and Gen Z want in the workplace. Here's our conversation. Hello, and welcome to Fast Company's now monthly uh, LinkedIn audio event. I'm Kate Davis. I'm the deputy editor at Fast Company, and I'm also the host of the New Way We Work podcast. And today we are talking about a topic that people can't seem to get enough of. Uh, What do Gen X, Millennials, and Gen Z want from work? And we'll leave a little bit of time at the end for questions or comments. And the best way to do that is to just drop them in the comments uh, for this event anytime while we're talking. And we have secret backway channels to to get those out. Um, But yeah. So as Gen Z starts into the workforce in larger numbers, there is a familiar rush to air quotes, figure out what this generation wants. I say familiar because the same fears and questions seem to pop up every decade or so as a new generation takes prominence. So if you dig into the archives of any publication, Fast Company included, and we'll be dropping uh, lots and lots of links to our past Gen X, Gen Z millennial coverage in. But if you dig into the archives of any publication, you will find incredibly similar headlines about millennials and Gen Xers that you are now seeing about Gen Z. Spoiler alert, we've all been called narcissistic and lazy. Uh, But the historical and cultural environment that you kind of come of age in does, of course, impact your outlook. And each of these three generations have had and continue to break the mold in their own way ushering in workplace changes. So as baby boomers retire, what does a workplace full of Gen X, millennials, and Gen Z mean for the future of work? And where do these generations see eye to eye? And where is there potential for conflict? So for this discussion, I am joined by Fast Company senior editor Lydia Dishman, who is repping Gen X, Fast Company staff editor AJ Hess, who will be digging into Gen Z. Lydia and AJ, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks so much for having us. And I think that we should start by clarifying where we are on the generational spectrum. Even though you said I am repping, yeah. yes. <laughs> I'm repping Gen X. You're, I, you're the vo- <laughs> we are all the voice of our uh, generations. Uh, some of us a uh, voices of other generations. <laughs> yes. There we go. Um, so yes, yeah. but I will, Thanks, I will be speaking for Gen X. Yeah. And I and I am the the geriatric millennial of the group. I am, you know, speaking for the middle aged geriatric millennials. And uh, AJ, you are not Gen Z, but you will be digging into our research on Gen Z and uh, speaking to your experience as a millennial, and slightly on the other spectrum of of millennials. Yeah, I'm uh, firmly a millennial, but but today I'll put putting on my Gen Z hat, and I'm excited to do it, and uh, I can't wait. <laughs> Get, getting on your Gen Z skateboard. I don't know what the, <laughs> how, how elderly I can make myself sound. This LinkedIn audio event is going to make me much, much cooler. I'll tell you that. But yeah, so so before we kind of dig into that, let's talk about like how we kind of feel about the common narratives of our generations and how much we identify with them. Lydia, do you feel like a Gen Xer? Yes and no. Only because, uh, and that's probably a classic Gen X response because... <laughs> 
I don't care. Would be, <laughs> yes. the, don't the, label um, me. The ambivalence yeah. is strong. And um, yes, as one of the older generations in the workplace, my approach to professional behavior was informed by coming up in a very corporate hierarchical environment. So that straddles that old school line. But I am just as likely to buck trends like the younger members of the workforce. So yes and no. <laughs> yeah. And I think we'll, we'll probably get into some of that too, right? Some of the like lingering, this is the way things used to be done pressure, maybe that, that some of us feel. Mm-hmm. AJ, do you feel like a millennial slash, uh, what do you think about the Gen Z narratives and, and kind of how that compares to the millennial narratives? Yeah. You know, I think one of the stereotypes about millennials is that our sense of humor is kind of cringy. And I don't relate to that because I find myself quite hilarious. Um, <laughs> uh, but we could but, we could like certainly dive into the whole I felt very offended by the whole uh, emoji thing. With yeah. like, uh, it was like cold water on me. I was like, oh, my thumbs up are sincere and my smiley faces are sincere. They're not passive aggressive. Totally. And, you know, but that being said, you know, you mentioned that there are some kind of keystone experiences. I think, you know, the millennial experience was so defined by the Great Recession around 2008, uh, which was around the time I was trying to get a job, you know, my, my first high school jobs. And it was impossible because there were people, you know, with master's degrees at the grocery store, right? Uh, or scoop and ice cream. So, One way that impacted me is I ended up taking computer science classes that I didn't really care about in college, but I really had this economic anxiety that I felt I need to. And when I interview Gen Z people or or just talk to people who are Gen Z, I feel like the pandemic did a similar thing to them that gave them this economic anxiety where I see them taking their careers really seriously and, and trying to set themselves up for success as much as possible. That's interesting. I think the economic anxiety bit, I definitely want to get into more because I do feel like that's a, a very kind of defining characteristic of millennials and experienced differently depending on where you were in your career. Totally. As a, you know, yeah. So for me, for the uh, the elder geriatric millennial here, I think a lot of the the narratives about millennials I have not identified with. I think because I I am on the extreme other like spectrum of it. What do they call it? The X Ennials. So I'm not like not Gen X. I'm not millennial. And Jessica Gross's column this week was you know <laughs> very well timed. It was about millennials at middle age and like how millennials are experiencing middle age in like such a different way. She quoted, and this was like fantastic, this book from 2000 called Millennials Rising about the next great generation. And it was like, oh, these are people who have only known the economy getting better and better, and they're going to be better off than their parents and all of that. And what was the quote? Kids have never known a year in which America doesn't get richer. But in fact, Mm. that is, you know, that did not age well. That is not how it played out for, for many millennials. <laughs> and spoiler alert. And we are, the millennials as a generation is actually in a worse place financially than their parents' generation was. Homeownership, all of those kind of markers are much worse <laughs> for millennials than for Gen X and especially for baby boomers. But yeah, the kind of redefining of what a middle age, like a midlife crisis looks like and, and what middle age is as millennials is something that is a little bit resonating with me. But but generally, a lot of the things about millennials, about being like a digital first, I certainly was not digital first, does not resonate with me. So I think that kind of gets into my first point, which not to like, again, dump cold water on this entire conversation, but the defining what really is a generation. So Gen X is uh, born between 1965 and 1980, so they're between 43 and 58 years old. 
Millennials are born between 1981 and 1996, between 42 and 27, and Gen Z between 1997 and 2012. So they're 11 to 26 years old. Those are huge ranges. I think inherently the problem with trying to generalize a group of people, like someone born in 1981, like I was, has a vastly different formative experience than somebody born in 1996 because of the pace of technology, because of the economy, because all of the changes that we've been through. So kind of trying to say like, oh, all Gen Z are like this. I mean, somebody who was born in 2012, they're 11 years old right now, who knows what the world will bring for them by the time they're working. So to, to kind of put them in that same category. I don't know, how do you guys feel about the classifications of generations? I mean, I you know, on the one hand, and again, classic Gen X answer, I'm gonna straddle the line here. <laughs> you don't care. <laughs> um, ambivalent at best, no. But I, th- I think that um, it, it is true, Kate, because the spread is so big, whatever, 18 to 20 years in each generation that, you know, the ones at the top and the ones at the bottom are going to experience things very, very differently. At the same time, you're talking about economic anxiety, for example. When I graduated and came into the workforce, we had a stock market crash. And then I lived through the dot-com boom and bust, and then 2008. And so I had three Mm -hmm. moments, if you will, to have that economic anxiety. And, you know, coming into the workforce when the stock market crashed definitely has defined my earnings over time, just like it did for people who were coming into the Mm -hmm. workforce in 2008. You're always going to be a little bit behind because the economy just wasn't supporting market level salaries. So, you know, there there are commonalities, but there are also differences within the groups themselves, I think. Yeah. And I think to your point earlier, Kate, about how quickly things change is, you know, the rate of change in technology, in business is only going at an upward exponential rate. So, The difference between five years ago in the 80s and one year today, right? Think about the beginning of 2022 to the end of 2023, right? The amount of advancements we'll see in things like open chat, GBT, AI, things are going to change even quicker. And so generations are going to start to experience, you know, these micro generations, right? Really specific moments in time um, that I think are going to make some of these big bands of generations a little bit um, less useful. Yeah, I've long thought, too, that the major difference between we try to say, oh, what does Gen Z want? They want this type of thing. They're all into these things that it's really the bigger differences lie in kind of other demographic factors, right? Mm -hmm. Like regional differences. I mean, you know, I grew up in the Midwest. I have vastly different experience growing up and going to college and all of that than somebody on the East or West Coast or in the South, what financial situation your family is in, how you experience the world is defined by so many things other than the the, the, the 20 year span you were born. But just think about a kid who experienced the pandemic in mm-hmm. high school versus in elementary school versus in college. And yet those people might be lumped in the same generation. Like they have, you know, vastly different experiences. But um but yeah, so let's so let's talk about some kind of unifying uh, experiences, though, for for different generations. So here I am rep- representing uh, elder millennials, and we've talked about a little bit. Generations are usually defined by the major world events that they live through. And for a lot of millennials like myself, I was early in my career during the financial crisis of 
2008, 2009, I was working in my first magazine job and got laid off. Not only did that mean a career setback, so again, it could mean a career setback if you're just starting your career or if you're in the middle of your career, but it also combines with a lot of millennials were the first generation to have really large student loan debt more than previous generations. Uh, about 15 million millennials carry an average of student loan debt of like $33,000. So I think that that gave millennials a lot more financial anxiety than some previous generations. And, you know, Lydia, you you talked about, of course, like living through the dot-com bust as well. But we've actually reported on studies that have shown that millennials have lower financial well-being scores than other previous generations. As I've mentioned, it kind of manifests itself in things like getting married later in life, buying a home later in life, which is, I think, often categorized as millennials' failure to launch. You know, there was all of those tropes Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. of, like, millennials still living in their parents' Mm -hmm. basements sort of thing. And that feeds into those stereotypes, right, of, like, they're lazy, they won't want to grow up. And it's like the landscape for achieving those markers is just so different than it was a generation ago. And I think that some of this financial anxiety plays out in the workplace a little hand in hand with another characteristic of millennials, which is that they have more balanced views on gender roles than other previous generations. According to our reporting, at least millennials and Gen Z women are far more likely to ask for and expect pay raises and cost of living increases. And I've certainly you know, felt that in our coverage of Fast Company, our popularity of negotiation mm-hmm. content. We did a LinkedIn audio about a negotiation. I feel like the rise of that kind of desire does kind of coincide with some of the things that, that millennials have lived through in the workplace. What do you guys think? The first thing that came to mind, you, you mentioned student debt earlier, Kate. That's something I covered for a long time. And I think that specific issue highlights where generational labels can actually be helpful, right? Because Millennials experiencing such a high increase in the average amount of student debt held is a very direct reflection of specific policy choices, right? For previous generations, they got huge advantages like, you know, the invention of the GI Bill, high subsidized education. But millennials experience such a high increase in student debt because older generations implemented cuts to public higher education funding. They reduced funding for scholarships. And so while these terms may feel like gobbledygook sometimes, It is actually helpful when we're able to be like, look, this generation was negatively impacted by policy decisions, student debt being one of them. That's the one thing that I think of there. Yeah, I think it's true. These things get simplified in in those narratives like millennials have a failure to launch while not looking at while not looking at the factors that that put them in that place. Yeah. And I also think that um, Gen X, because we're the smallest generation and we happen to be sandwiched between Mm. a massive amount of boomers and a very large group of millennials often get overlooked. But I believe that there were some economic reports saying that we were the first generation to to be worse off than our parents. Mm. While we did not have maybe the high levels of student debt, I anecdotally and more broadly, I know that student debt was definitely a thing for members of my generation. Owning a home was a struggle. And even if you did manage to pull that off, I think that we were among the first to start living paycheck to paycheck, where that comfortable middle class Mm -hmm. just evaporated. And I remember often being mystified because you feel like you were sold this bill of goods. Like once you got to this, this particular age in this particular stage of life, that things would sort of settle out. And lo and behold, job security 
was just sort of a fantasy that evaporated and, Mm. you know, having a comfortable middle class existence also evaporated, even if you had a quote unquote good job in the knowledge economy. So I think that Gen X very quietly went through this pre-phase and then millennials felt the full impact of it, just given the timing and world events. Yeah, I think you're right. And the more we think about it and talk about it, it does seem like the version of the American dream that we're sold, the kind of everything that we have been taught to believe about work and Mm -hmm. life is sold on the idea of the way that it was for boomers. And then Gen Z is kind of like the canary in the coal mine that like, hey, things are changing. And then millennials are feeling the brunt of it. And then I don't know, then then Gen Z's, you know, maybe the ones that are going to react to the seeing what has been happening. But um, Lydia, why don't you why don't you talk about some Gen X now? We've been millennial focused here. <laughs> uh, well, are we going to talk about what we want at work? Yes, yes, that is the point, <laughs> right? Yes, yeah, so let's talk about like, what does Gen X want out of work? And how is it different? Well, yeah. as I started saying just before, I think that this notion of job security that was, you know, presented to us wrapped up in a bow by our parents' generation, who stays really at a job for 25 years? No one anymore. You know, the gold watch and the clock that you get for your years of service is just completely out the window. So I think that in lieu of that, we've come up with some different things. And certainly I think that the pandemic accelerated what we wanted at work was really more autonomy and more flexibility. And we could see now that everyone can operate in this way. You can work remotely, you can be responsible for your own deliverables. And I think that that's really driven home for a lot of Gen Xers, and you'll see this in any number of surveys, that the people who want to work remotely the most are members of this generation, because we feel like we know how to do it already. And we know how to be accountable for our own work. And so that's a big piece of it. But I do think also that um, we were, for better or worse, the first generation to quiet quit when things weren't going well. Whether you want to call us slackers or apathetic, you know, whatevers, (laughs) there was a movie about it. But I do think that, you know, that was a thing that in order to sort of conform to this corporate notion of work that we really weren't feeling terribly comfortable with, We generally were the first generation to quiet quit. And I know that some of my colleagues in a job many, many moons ago used to do it in the way that they would time each other to see who could stay out for lunch longer. It was a little game called Out Late. (laughs) And that was just a classic form of disengagement, if you think about it. It would never fly now and we have any number of articles to suggest how to bring these people back and and get them engaged but i do remember that happening in the in the 90s so there we are i think it's so funny because we did an article to this effect of gen x were the original quiet quitters Mm -hmm. and as soon as we started talking about that article and this topic came up and was like well yeah that makes perfect sense they're the slacker (laughs) generation they're the like don't care (laughs) generation right Of course, they were the quiet quitters. And I wonder if like, because one of the things about the millennial work era was the whole like girl boss Uber Mm -hmm. ambition. And I wonder Mm -hmm. if that's a reaction to the Gen X quiet quitting apathy or just like these things kind of go in cycles or or what? Maybe more of an outgrowth. Oh, uh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, no. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. I just think it's maybe more of an outgrowth of the other 
trope that really came to bear for Gen Xers was that you could have it all, especially as a woman in the workplace. So you are mm. running a family and you're also running a business. And yes, indeed, you can juggle all of these things. And I think that was really the genesis of hustle culture. But what were you going to say? Uh, I don't even remember now, but <laughs> that whole trope of like, can you have it all? Mm -hmm. God, that started with boomer women, right? In the 80s. And then I don't know if do you feel like Gen, Gen X bought into that or didn't buy into that? I mean, I think that that started the whole flexibility aspect. But I think millennials bought into it for a bit and then saw how faults the bottom was mm -hmm, with that, mm -hmm. especially during the pandemic. Yeah, for sure. One thing I'll add to that conversation also is that I think there were some changing realities in terms of whether or not two people in a given household had to work. There was mm -hmm. an, a, a healthy enough economy in previous generations where only one person had to. And I think for younger millennials and for Gen Z especially, I think a lot of people think about work less so in terms of I'm going to be the CEO, the girl boss, but more Ugh. I have to have <laughs> a job, right? Like I, mm -hmm. I have to work because that's the reality of the economy we live in today. Yeah, that's for sure. And that was a little bit the point of Jessica Gross's article about millennials at middle age was like, who has the money for a midlife crisis? Like, who has the time and the money for a midlife <laughs> crisis anymore? Yeah. Like, it is more about survival. But Lydia, so we did a couple of LinkedIn polls, one for each generation about how people think the generations differ from each other. Do you want to talk about how people think Gen X differs from other generations at work? Uh, yeah, let's see. What did we say? How do you think Gen X differs from other generations? Well, only 12% said that they're less tech savvy. So thank goodness for that, because <laughs> that is just BS, <laughs> capital B, capital S. Well, that's always one of the tropes, right? Is yeah, like, oh, if you're old, you don't know how to do anything. The older people don't know how to, like, <laughs> yes. And I will say <laughs> that Lydia is sometimes more tech savvy than I am. Thanks so. for that shout out, Kate. I, I appreciate that. Yeah. <laughs> don't forget who taught you those emojis. <laughs> the other one was better managers. 29% said that Gen X is better managers. 39% said they're more experienced. And 20% said they're more opposed to change. That's the one that I had the most trouble with. I can't believe that there was a full 20% of people said that they're more opposed to change. Because I do feel that given all of the economic boom and bust cycles that we've lived and worked through, that we actually are among the more adaptable of the generations and we just don't get credit for it. Mm, yeah, a lot of these options, and I will say when I was writing these polls, I was kind of like, how stereotypical can I get? <laughs> and a lot of, you know, and, and a lot of the nuances in the comments uh, for these. But yeah, I mean, a lot of those choices, right, are like the things that people say about an older generation. They're more opposed to for change. Sure. They're less, you know, tech savvy. And then the the positive things, they're more experienced. They're better managers. I, I will say, and we'll, we'll go through the other polls too, that you know, it was refreshing that people that didn't seem to fall into these stereotypes and did kind of, all the numbers are a little split, but you're more experienced. That makes sense. Gen X is more experienced. They've been in the workplace longer. I think that's the number that was kind of the mm -hmm. highest there. AJ, talk to us about Gen Z. Yeah. When we asked people about Gen Z specifically, the number one thing that came up is that 
Gen Z differs from other generations at work. 42% of people said that they're more tech savvy. So kind of the uh, foil mm-hmm. to those uh, negative Gen X stereotypes. But in, you know, my own reporting and in interviewing Gen Z people and publishing articles written by Gen Z people, I find that more often than they want basics, right? They want safe schools and good, stable jobs and clean water. It's just that the context for getting those things have changed a little bit, right? Um, I think people see Gen Z as pretty outspoken, as confident and maybe kind of politically active. My hypothesis is that that's because in order to get things right, like safer schools or stable jobs is they're trying to like organize, right? So we've seen Gen Z really lead union efforts in places like Starbucks. We saw obviously big protests for safer schools against guns in Florida hosted by Gen Z. So I think Gen Z wants a lot of the same things that other generations want. They just, because of the context they're in, end up going about it in a little bit more of an outspoken way. I agree. And then Gen Z gets kind of categorized as an activist generation Mm -hmm. more. Do you think that it's because things have just reached a boiling point and they can't stay silent anymore? Or is it something else about the era in which they, you know, kind of came of age and started entering the workforce and getting older? I think... Part of it is, you know, obviously living through the pandemic and seeing kind of how quickly your life can be turned upside down. I think Gen Z just kind of became the fuck it generation. (laughs) They're like, you know what? Hands up. I'm just going to say this out loud. What's the worst that could happen, right? A a global pandemic and I could get kicked out of, you know, school could shut down, right? So I think they have a little bit of that instinct. That's my suspicion. But obviously... You know, I'm I'm speaking hypothetically here as a guest, an honorary Gen Z guest. A millennial, if you will. Exactly. Yeah, I think you're right, though, in that, like, things have just kept getting kind of worse and worse and worse (laughs) and worse. And, like, the March for Our Lives folks, Mm -hmm. you know, obviously that was born out of living through a mass shooting at their Mm -hmm. high school. And I distinctly remember Columbine. I was a senior in Mm -hmm. high school. And that kind of started that era, right? So I didn't come of age in a time of active shooter drills and those Mm. sorts of things. But I can obviously, you know, you can imagine somebody who was born in 1996. Yeah, they did. They lived through that. And then you watch Gen X, boomers, to a certain extent, millennials do next to nothing Mm -hmm. about it. Mm -hmm. And you're like, okay, well, I guess I have to, you know, and and kind of similarly. No, I, yeah, I was just going to say that I, I'm getting a, a side note from a member of the audience right now. And said, they say, you know, regardless of which side of the political spectrum you're on, the 2016 election was a huge turning point for us. We learned to be loud to have our voice heard. Mm-hmm. So thank mm. you, audience attendee. Yeah. And I think we started to see the the fruits of some of that too, right? Like people started to, after the 2016 election, speak up more and like some things started to change. I mean, and a lot of these things feel more urgent mm-hmm. too. Like obviously climate change feels mm-hmm. so much more urgent to Gen Z than it felt to Gen X and, and even millennials. Yeah. And the one thing I'll add to Gen Z is, you know, we talked a bit about demographic realities. Gen Z is not only the biggest generation Mm -hmm. in the United States, but also the world. Mm -hmm. Um, It's also the least white generation, right? You know, this is a generation whose lived experiences are different. And so, you know, the call for um, racial equity was intensified because this was an important issue to this Mm -hmm. generation. Yeah. And that's, and I think that I forget the, the exact statistic, but it's a year soon in the next 10 years that um, non-white 
people will become the majority, the majority mm-hmm. in the U.S. So it's not only that this generation is more diverse, it's that white people will not be in the majority anymore as well. All right, so back to millennials. I got to keep bringing this <laughs> back to millennials. We did a, the LinkedIn poll about millennials. How do you feel millennials differ from other generations at work? And it was like, 20-ish percent for everything. I put some of the stereotypes in there. They are less confident, better managers, smarter, more cautious. And it's kind of like same across the board, but I thought it was really interesting. So in digging through our past coverage for this talk, I came across so I've been at Fast Company since 2013. So I have, I lived through, I feel this exact moment that we're having about Gen Z, about millennials. Mm-hmm. And there, I remember mm-hmm. all of the articles that we ran about like hand-wringing. What do these kids want and how will we market to them and all of that. And so we have this poll that we published in 2015 and it said, how do hiring managers see millennials versus the prior generation? So it was comparing Gen X and millennials. And boy, oh boy, if I didn't put millennials on this, you would think it was about Gen Z. <laughs> they thought 80% of people said millennials are narcissistic. Gen X was not open to change. Millennials were more creative. Uh, Millennials were more money-driven, more adaptable. Gen X was more team players, which I don't know if Lydia will find that funny. (laughs) By like a lot. Like Gen X was like 73% team players and millennials were like 20% team players. We were both 50-50 on being optimistic, which I think like take this poll now and I don't know that anybody would be as, you know, the optimism would not be Mm -hmm. there. But that was Mm -hmm. the narrative early on is that millennials were this like happy, sunny, optimistic uh, generation. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I think that that poll is particularly funny because it is kind of, you know, that was 2015. So that was eight, nine years ago. And oh, how things have changed. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I, I don't know that I should give the credit fully to millennials, but I will say that millennials did help usher in the workplace change of a move towards more flexibility. And I think that part of it was the cultural environment that millennials were raised in. Millennials were more likely than previous generations to have mothers who worked outside of the home. And studies have shown that girls in particular, but all kids who have mothers that work outside of the home are more ambitious in their own careers. And I think that that translated a bit into what we talked about, about the kind of lean in girl boss empowerment era of the early aughts and and early 2010s. But, you know, as I mentioned, like hand in hand with that is that so many millennials right now are in those kind of prime career years of their 30s and early 40s. And especially during the pandemic, those kind of unreasonable expectations of work started to to really show. And millennials, I think, started to lead the charge on things like paid leave and flexible schedules. And this is, you know, something that I think that seeing like Gen Z, as we've talked about, is just kind of assuming as a matter of course. What do you guys think of that? I think that Gen X really was in a, a difficult position because I think that we did want that flexibility But we were often, especially early in our careers, reporting to boomers and, you know, the generation Mm -hmm. even before that. And you want to talk about like old school. (laughs) There was just a very different attitude to work and certainly to women in the workplace. And so I can remember being a very early adopter of remote work. I had a job that allowed me to work from home two days a week. And this was because I was a sandwich generation caregiver. I had um, a small child and I had an aging parent to take care of. And I know that that was sort of unheard of at the time to be able to do that in the early days of dial up Internet, too, which is astounding to me that we could get anything to work back then. But 
there was <laughs> it was a very hard ask to make. Mm-hmm. And I do remember that, you know, subsequent jobs after that, and my one of my daughters who is in the audience right now, shout out to E, will remember this very distinctly in that I did not even tell people that I had children because I really believed that I was going to be judged harshly for being a, a caregiver in the workplace and that I somehow wasn't working to full potential if I had to take care of an elder parent and two small children. So I'm here to tell you that I made it work and I have built my career low these 20 plus years, but it was really, um, you know, an attitude towards caregivers in the workplace. It was just not, it was just not done back then. And I knew this about you. I mean, one, we've, we've worked together for a long time, but <laughs> you wrote about this. Um, my daughter wrote, wrote about did it. Did you write about no, it? Or my, did your, daughter my, wrote, your daughter wrote about yes, it. That's right. That's right. Your daughter wrote about it for Fast Company a couple of years ago. And I think it really does speak to the difference between the generations there that you felt that that was necessary and that it probably was. And you hear a lot of stories of obviously the mommy tax mm-hmm, is a mm-hmm. huge it was a deal. real thing that's still with mm-hmm. us. And I think the residuals of that were left over with millennials. But I do think that the pandemic, you know, you want to talk about the like, fuck it attitude. (laughs) I think that's like there was no there was no choice. Like there was no hiding that you had other responsibilities outside Mm -hmm. of your job, Um, which is not to say that it's like solved now. I mean, the remote work is much more common. It's much easier to do. But I think the motherhood penalty still exists, like the idea of like the ideal worker that you have no responsibilities outside of your job does still exist. But I think that the call and the push for flexibility has risen with millennials. I think it is kind of expected as a matter of course with Gen Z. And I think Gen X kind of had to kind of suffer through it in the same way that mm-hmm. that boomers did maybe where, you know, because the boomer narrative, right, was like, have it all, but like, especially for women, like try to have try to be like the men. Yes, you know? exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. AJ, take us home with something more about Gen Z. Yeah. On the point of parenthood, we do start to see some really different perspectives on that among Gen Z. They're a generation that are more likely than previous generations to say that they're not going to prioritize having kids. So I think that'll be a really interesting trend when we think about some of these issues. They're a generation that claims to really believe in co-parenting children together, right? Gen Z men, even more than millennial men, report really believing in parenting their kids. So it's possible we'll see some progress there. My one favorite thing about thinking about Gen Z is they really do make me feel pretty optimistic sometimes. Um, You know? Uh, And it's it's issues like these that make me feel that way. It's interesting. There are a lot of moments that I have, I think, where I'm like, the kids are all right. Like, Mm -hmm. and it's just even with, you know, the younger side of Gen Z of of, you think of like high school and middle school kids. And I'm like, wow, they just have it figured out in such a way that I did not have it figured out Mm -hmm. at that age. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I think it's it's the, the time that they're living through, I think it is like the access to technology and like figuring that out at a younger age. I'd love to talk just briefly about because I'm looking at the poll too of like how Gen Mm. Z differs from other generations at work. 
sorry to say only 4% said they're smarter. I think that's a, maybe, <laughs> maybe they're like, because they, some of them haven't even gone to, you know, graduated that's yet. That's a youth thing. Some of them are 11. Yeah. <laughs> you know, some of yeah. them are 11. But one thing, and this didn't get like a ton of votes, but we've written about it, that they're more confident and that they might not mm. have imposter syndrome. I mean, imposter syndrome was like such a big narrative for the millennial generation. And I certainly identify with having imposter syndrome. What do you think about like Gen's, is Gen Z not going to have imposter syndrome? Are they the first generation to grow out of it? We have written about how they're going to be the first generation to beat imposter syndrome. And I think this actually survey does touch on that, right? One is that it's funny that they don't consider tech savvy or confident as smart, Hmm. right? Like that's a a little bit ironic there. But I think one thing what I've heard from Gen Z people talk about is that how technology and transparency have shown them how sometimes leaders don't know everything, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Technology means that they've been able to watch world leaders and CEOs really mess up in real Mm -hmm. time. And what is better for your imposter syndrome than to realize that an executive maybe isn't (laughs) that much smarter than you? Or maybe it's not that he has all the answers, right? Maybe uh, it's that, you know, we all bring our own expertise and that um, there's no reason to feel like an imposter in your role. That's so true. Yeah. So much of it was like a a mystery on high to us before Mm -hmm. it was so all available. And yeah, and I think Gen Z has a different definition too of what an expert is. I mean, so many Gen Z folks get their news from non-traditional news sources. And I think that these are the the experts, these are the people you listen to is not as Mm -hmm. uh, sound as other generations thought. And I think that just tagging along with that, because they grew up with social media and as entrenched in social media as so many of them are, here's a little bright spot of social media. You really have seen how anyone could become a quote unquote expert on, Mm -hmm. you know, any of the platforms. And I'm thinking about TikTok in particular, you know, there's so many people that you would have never heard of or heard from, but now you can raise your hand and in this creator economy, you can be something and you can grow Mm -hmm. in front of people. So I think that, yes, it's true that Gen Z does have mental health issues and definitely suffers from anxiety and depression, just like any of the other generations. They are more willing to talk about it, which I think is helpful Mm -hmm. and ultimately, you know, erases that stigma. Um, But I do think that there is, in the best sense, more of a meritocracy in that, you know, if you have an idea, you can get on a platform, you can make your voice heard, and you can make something. Mm. Yes, I think that is a huge bright spot that Gen Z is more willing to talk about the things that, you know, if if Gen X wouldn't admit they had kids, and Gen Mm -hmm. and millennials, like, you know, started to push for it, like Gen Z's just like, you know, taking the filter off and, Mm -hmm. and talking about all the things that we need to talk about. There's also the caution of boomers will believe anything they read here on TV. (laughs) Gen X will believe anything they read on Twitter. Gen Z will believe anything on TikTok. I mean, there's always the fear of just because a person says it on TikTok doesn't mean it's true. And, you know, having the wherewithal to figure out what's true and what's not. Well, I think we've come to the end. I thought, oh, this conversation won't go that long. And then look at us. We can can talk (laughs) about generations for a long time. It's understandable why why this sort of topic and conversation is covered so widely and people are so interested in it. You know, trying to figure out what matters to people, especially in the workplace, is what we do at Fast Company. And 
I will do a shameless plug, as I always do, for the uh, podcast, The New Way We Work. We will be talking a bit more about um, generations and what they want from work. And if uh, you missed any part of this conversation, we're actually going to repurpose some of this uh, for an episode that'll be out in April, I believe on April 17th. But if you want more of this content, we'll be doing LinkedIn audios about once a month. Watch this space. I don't know what our next topic will be. Or subscribe to The New Way We Work wherever you get your podcast and you'll hear all this kind of future of work conversation. Uh, AJ and Lydia, such a pleasure. So fun <laughs> to talk about this kind of stuff with you guys. Uh, thanks so much. Thank you. Thanks, y'all. And that's all for this episode. If you're a new listener, be sure to subscribe to The New Way We Work wherever you listen. And if you like this episode, leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. And we want to hear from you. Work is changing every day. What's the most pressing issue on your mind? Email us at podcast at fastcompany.com or tweet us with the hashtag The New Way We Work. The New Way We Work is produced by Joshua Christensen with editing by Nicholas Torres. 